Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Create Invent podcast. Uh, I'm here with my lovely co-host, as usual, Jeremy Cook. I'm Pat Regan, and we are joined today by Stephen Hawes, who is making a fantastic open-source pick-and-place you know, drops your electronics components on a PCB machine. It's really cool. Welcome, Stephen. How are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you guys so much for having me. Yeah, and, and Stephen, now you're in uh, Pittsburgh. Is that is that correct? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. I live and work in live Pittsburgh. and work in Pittsburgh. And you've just, I believe, you've just started a new uh, new shop, right? You've or you've you've, man. There's so much so much to get into with you, but but just just a little. <laughs> no, it, it's it's fantastic. So you you live in Pittsburgh. Uh, your engineering background, I, I assume, or mm-hmm. yeah, I have a um, I majored in mechanical engineering, minored in computer science, um, but then ultimately was like, yeah, electronics is kind of the thing that I'm I'm stoked on. So I pursued that after during college and after college, um, not through like a formal academic path, um, and that was really where I was like, oh no, this is this is really where I want to spend my time. So I've I've got you know bits of of the big threes, kind of how I think about yeah, it. Yeah, no, I I get that my. My degree's in mechanical engineering as well, and um, I don't know. I was always so fascinated with with just everything. To be honest, it's it's hard to. I just found it very hard to narrow down what I wanted to study, and I, I do I do feel like in the end, I feel like maybe mechanical engineering is maybe the most broad in a way. I guess the most. Yeah. Um, but you know, sometimes I think maybe I should have studied electrical engineering or computer science or or whatever else. But sure, I think that all the time, especially because the mechanical engineering school that I went to was like. We took classes that would really only be applicable if you were designing jet engines or like handling fluid through fluid flow through you know some like industrial tubing and like not stuff I really wanted to apply and like maybe by the time I got to a job where that would become necessary, we'll cross that bridge when I get to it and I'll learn it at that point. I, I'm still glad I took them because it gave me a good understanding of like some of those fundamentals. But I felt like like I did my uh, program didn't even teach me CAD for mechanical engineering. I came out, all my CAD experience was self-taught by the time I graduated mechanical engineering. So like, I felt like it wasn't quite, it didn't give me the foundation I was hoping it would, a nice broad foundation, but there were still good classes in there I really enjoyed. Yeah, yeah, I, I think it was, I, I think going, doing a mechanical engineering degree was, was good. Whether it was the exact yeah. right thing. I mean, I know, um, man, I don't even know if it was quite offered when I went to it, but I know we had a, at least one guest on that had a, a mechatronics degree, which I think is, is fantastic. Yeah. You know, I, you know, maybe I would have taken that if, uh, if my college <laughs> offered it, but you know, I probably would have too. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. And I think, I think I saw a Yukon uh, symbol. So I guess you went to university of Connecticut, mm-hmm. I, I assume, or maybe you just, maybe you just yep, like, yeah, them. absolutely. <laughs> I grew up there and it was a good in-state tuition. Um, and so I went for it and it was good. It was a great college experience. I did learn a ton and I had a lot of opportunities at the school, like so many wonderful things UConn provided for me. The degree was not my best choice. It, were, it was a good choice. I'm glad I did it, but it wasn't what I was hoping for. Uh, but so many other great things came from it. It was, it was a great, great school experience for sure. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. But I guess, I guess what we're talking about today is you made, uh, or mostly what we're talking about today is you, your company, you do um, an open source printed circuit board assembly machine. Is that, is that fair to say? Um, you're, yes, you're making that a hundred percent like that. That's pretty much how I describe it too, is it's a machine that assembles a circuit board and puts all the little chips onto the blank PCB automatically. And just, just to step back a few steps, a PCB is a mm-hmm. printed circuit board. And basically this is something that you design. You can put uh, components on there and they basically the circuit boards take electrons from one, one end of the board to another, from one, one component to another. You, your, your machine does not make 
printed circuit boards, yet it takes assembled, it takes circuit boards unassembled and actually plops the, the components on it, correct? So Exactly. Yeah, it's more of like, it's less of a prototyping tool. So there's a lot of great things out there for if you want to make a prototype, if you want to make five of something, you can order PCBs online, super cheap. You can buy the components from DigiKey. You can solder them with a soldering iron. You can make a few of them. But this is more of a tool for, let's say I want to make, you know, a hundred of something or a thousand of something or like Jeremy for your uh, Kickstarter, that kind of thing. Like being able to manufacture a whole bunch all in one fell swoop. You don't have to sit at your bench and hand solder all these things. You can get a tool that isn't, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars or like hire a company to do it for you. You could do it right there in house and like handle it yourself yeah. uh, for a lot less money. That's amazing. And uh, Steven, I'm going to ask you an important question that I realize okay. we should have. What it, and I know names have changed too, so I'm going to be confused. <laughs> what is the name of your company, and what is the what is your pick and place machine called? So <laughs> that's a great question. So, so we, we, can, we a... can refer to it with the proper noun the whole time. Right. <laughs> yeah. Not not float around potentially picking the name. Uh, we used to be called Index Machines, and the name of the pick and place was the Index. Pick and place the name. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> And, uh, but we, we had a, a cease and desist from a company. It doesn't matter who, but they didn't like our usage of it. So we had to, uh, uh, we didn't have to actually it was, we, we chose to do something different and not play that game. Um, I would have chosen the same thing. Steve, yeah. Like probably. we, it was a, it was a good thing. We did not have to do it. Um, we, it was, we didn't want to play that game. So we decided we'll change the name. So right now we are going as Opulo. Um, Opulo is, <laughs> a lot of people are like, where the heck is that from? My answer is threefold. It is a five letter domain that we managed to get the name. It's a not .com. We almost got the .com, but we didn't quite, uh, that we also got the trademark on. It kind of sounds like populate, um, and like kind of, a uh, operational, which is very similar to like the kind of thing we're trying to do. Uh, and it's not a word. So like... I, I, I'm not fighting with any pre-existing notion in anyone's head about like what a word means, you know, like it's just you hear that word and you're like, oh, all this is ever meant in my brain is this thing Steven's doing. And it works out pretty well. <laughs> well and as long as people can figure out how to remember how to spell it, you'll have great SEO for that. Yes. That was the and biggest so problem with the previous okay. name of our podcast. Because really you search for the creativity podcast and yeah. episodes of other people's podcasts that have a title. Oh. With creativity in them, yeah, tend yeah, to, tend to come up, which is yeah. which is part of the reason we chose to change it to create invent podcast. We because we felt like that was a little bit more more about what we are, you know. Even though creativity is obviously part of it, but it's just, you know, we're we're we love like you know talking to people who have created something or inventing something like, like you like you, Stephen. So it's so what what was the genesis of you guys wanting to change the name? Like at what point were you like? Yeah, this isn't this isn't what we want to call it. Was it this SEO thing? Was it like kind of an analysis of what you guys were doing on the podcast? And you're like, this isn't really fit. What made you make that decision? That's a that's a good question. I want to know the answer to this too because Jeremy said one day to me in Discord, he said, "I want to change the name of the podcast," and I said, "Thank goodness, this is a fantastic idea." <laughs> no, I'll, I'll be honest because we came up with this actually before Pat was even on the show. And, um, you know, I just kind of started thinking like, man, I really don't like telling people this and then have to explain what the creativity podcast means. Cause I feel like it's, 
you know, you tell people that and it's, it's people probably think it's about juggling or something. And, you know, it's, it's, <laughs> I like juggling. I can juggle, but, uh, you know, it's not, it's not about that. That's not, that's not what we're about. Whereas create and vent is more like, you know, more what we're about. I mean, we like, you know, it's artistic expression combined with engineering, I, I guess. Is that, sure. is, that, is that accurate, Pat? It's more, Sounds accurate enough to me. It's more a, and the new title fits a little better with, you know, there have been some people that I've wanted to invite on the show that just didn't really fit the more, didn't seem to fit as well to the old title and sure. what they do would probably fit better to the new title. And I'm, I'm excited about that. Yeah. Great. So, yeah. Have, have you had pains with the renaming, like people remembering it or something? Because that's something that we, we, that was the biggest thing we were worried about was like, are people going to understand the name switch and stuff? And like, have you guys felt any of that? Well, we're lucky that most of our views come from people subscribed somehow to, you know, to their <laughs> right. audio feed. And that's the worst. That's the worst thing about podcasts is we can't even track most of that because mm -hmm. there's like 18 different places you can pull podcasts <laughs> down from, and none yeah. of them tell you. And <laughs> even if they do tell you, they tell you downloads, not listens, right? right? So you, so, so you Steve, have so, no idea. So Stephen, yeah. you got to be you got to be on our podcast, and you may be talking to tens of people, or you may be talking to thousands of people. We really we, we really don't, don't we really don't know. So it's, it's, <laughs> that's interesting. That's kind of cool. Mean, <laughs> it, it isn't. I mean, it's it's. I'm sure it's somewhere in the middle, based on the downloads and everything else. But you know, it's it's. Um, I don't know. It, it is a frustrating thing about podcasting because you don't you don't really know. But you know, the interesting thing, Jeremy, is that we get to talk to people like Stephen <laughs> while he's just Stephen, and he's. He, He's obviously going to be the Joseph Prusa of pick and place machines in five years, right? So we get to talk to him before he's the Joseph Prusa of pick and place. <laughs> if that happens, you can talk to me then too. Oh, let's, let's do it. I'm ready. Go on, rock and roll. No, he's this. That guy's a Stephen Hawes of uh, of 3D printers. Is what <laughs> yes. That's what we will say next time. We'll you reverse guys, this. You guys we'll are flip sweet. it upside down. <laughs> we, should, we, should have, we should ask Joseph Prusif on, Prusa on here and see, uh, you know, we could have a little, little debate, I guess. I love cool. my Prusa printer. Yeah. I, mm -hmm. We use a mini for a lot of our part printing. And, like, it had, it had a, a problem with, like, some part of the extruder jamming or something, but the docks were chef's kiss. I mean, just walk me through exactly what I had to do. Are you having these problems? Yes, I had all of those problems. This is the document for you. And I went through and I did it and it just patently solved my problem. It was fantastic. So like, and that's, I think what you're really getting with them is you're getting good community, you're getting support, you're getting good documentation. Their discord has like thousands of people in it and like everyone's there to help you with it. It's been a, they've been really good. We, we use minis uh, for a lot of our part okay. printing. They're fantastic. They're so good. Yeah, I saw you guys had a uh, Monoprice Maker Ultimate one, I believe. Um, mm -hmm. I think. And I'll be honest, the thing that the thing that bothers me about the Prusas is the way the uh, the gantry is set up. I, you know, you're a mechanical engineer, so I feel like to me something about the way the Monoprice is makes a whole lot more sense to me. However, yeah. however, the Prusa has fantastic support, like you were saying. It it is. I don't know. Even though in my head, I think. You know, I look at that and think, oh, this is better than the Prusa. Just, you know, if you showed me one without any context, right? I would think that's awesome. But, but it's not. That's not all there is to it. That's all the support and stuff that goes sure. along with and it. Obviously. It looks so like cantilevered. Like the the mini yeah. arm is reaching out. And when I first saw it, I was like, 
that thing looks like it's Terrifying. not going to be very rich. But I mean, sure enough. I, and I also think even if you have a little kink to it, they do all the bed probing. Their, their Marlin build is so cheeky and so smart that like first layers are always beautiful. It really like they definitely have calibrated out the differences in software pretty well to the point that it like they can get away with it and it works pretty yeah. great. But yeah, that freaked me out too. When I saw that, I was like, wow, that thing's going to wobble, but it's, it's pretty yeah. good. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, I guess things are not always as they, uh, I guess you have a certain like conception of things is just looking at it. It's not always, not always what it is, I guess. Sure. Yeah. Um, but I guess, uh, I guess all, all, all that being said, these three printers go into actually making your, uh, your pick and place machine, your kit, it's, uh, I believe it's listed for fourteen ninety five, but then you you three D print the the printed parts yourself, correct? Is that the the kit is uh, eleven forty five? It's just oh, eleven forty five. I don't know mm -hmm. why, I, I don't know where I read. <laughs> Maybe I it was read that. it was we had early birds for when we launched that were just under a thousand, um, and then after we sold out of those early birds, the the price went up to like a our standard, and it it should be eleven forty five on the website. Last that I checked, if it's not, then okay. I'm gonna go change that. It is eleven forty five on the website. I'm checking Great. right there. Fantastic, I'm, thank you. Okay, maybe. Um, I Maybe but yeah, that's a, it's a kit that uh, you print. It's We call it uh, the BYOP. So instead of like bring your own bottle, it's bring your own printer. And you print all the parts yourself. It's a it's just about one spool of filament, just a little under one spool. So like 20 bucks in plastic. You get the kit, you print all the parts out, all the docs walk you through how to put it together. Um, and then you have your very own pick and place. You can assemble boards and we support parts down to 0603, but we've done internal testing with 0402s that have gone really well. <laughs> and and so 0603, just to define that, what is yeah. what is the dimensions on that? 0603 so means? That's a really common part size for passives or like resistors or capacitors. When you put those on a board, they come in these tiny little rectangles. And 0603 is, oh, is that a, that's a freedom units thing, isn't it? It's like uh, 0.06, is it 60 thou? I'm not good with uh, imperial I, I, I units. Think, I only know metric. I think I think you're right. I think it's sixty thousandths by thirty thousandths, or point yeah. zero six by point zero three inches. Yeah, yeah. I think I think that's what it is. Um, and so we support down to that for the kit, and then we also have O four O twos, which are forty thou by twenty thou. Um, and those wow. we have had. We don't officially support it, but like it works pretty well. We've run a lot of tests with mm -hmm. it. We we haven't completely validated it yet, where we feel comfy saying that it it supports it, but like. It can do it. And if you think about it, a 3D printer, the nozzle on a 3D printer gets incredibly precise, like definitely down to getting to those tolerances. Easily. It, yeah. it makes sense that, you know, we're using very similar hardware to a, an off-the-shelf FDM machine. It's it's doing a very similar thing. Um, so, you know, Atraxic can do that. Right. Wow, that's, that's it's just amazing. And you can you can buy one of these right now. I mean, if I went to your website, I could I could get one shipped to me. Is that... Exactly. So correct? right now we have a, a six week lead time because we so we had, we raised a little money last year um, and that was really helpful for us getting some stock in house and doing validation that like we know for sure this thing works. We used it to populate its own motherboards and ring lights. So we actually used it in production for like two months to test and make sure, OK, this is the thing we feel comfortable selling and that we had kits that we could actually ship. You always hear about like, you know, big 3D printer Kickstarters and like sometimes they don't ship because they didn't plan ahead. We didn't want to do it that way. We wanted to make sure that before we took anyone's money, we had stuff to ship and we knew it was a working good product. So uh, we had um, about a hundred units in stock 
uh, and that was the early birds. And then now that we know what the demand is and we're getting orders in and we know, now we can reorder for the kind of the second batch. So we have a running six week lead time, but we're gonna crush that hopefully pretty soon and get it down to, you know, a week or, you know, two weeks or something along those lines. Oh, well, that's awesome. Now is yeah. it, the company, is it, is just you, I know it's you and your, your partner, partner, right? Lucian. Lu Lucian? Okay. Mm -hmm. And then do you have any employees or is anybody else working with you guys? Um, as of the, this recording, technically no, but if we did this in a week, the answer would be probably yes. <laughs> we have That's a couple awesome. other people that are probably coming on, um, depending on whether or not I have a certain email in my inbox, maybe there's already one that already has accepted. Um, but we have someone coming on to help with docs and GitHub stuff and support. Um, and then we're also hiring uh, manufacturing technicians to like actually help us put the kits together to run the pick and place. because. Me sitting there all day doing that, um, while it is pretty automated and I can get a lot of work done at the same time, I need to be able to move around and do other things too. Mm. So we need help getting all that stuff running. But yeah, so we'll be, hopefully in a couple of weeks, we'll be four people. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah. That's really awesome. I, yeah, it's cool. I, I guess with this, you know, just thinking about like having gone through a Kickstarter and fulfilled some stuff and everything, it yeah. seems like it seems like there's a huge difference between designing something and like actually shipping something it's like to, to me you know just having learned all this it's almost like you're the difference between designing something and designing a, a process for for making it do you feel like do you feel like that's accurate when you're in your company a hundred percent i mean like we the, the machine has seen some changes over the past few months and like little optimizations as we've been using it but the fundamental structure of the thing has been very similar because what the work has been over the past few months is getting these kits ready to ship. It's been writing documentation. Like, sure, I can look at that machine and put it together, but getting all of that information into someone else's mind. And like, it's also very hard because I make, a, it's impossible to not make assumptions about what other people are going to know because it's in my head. It's hard to separate out the things that I shouldn't expect someone else might be able to just intuitively know. Realizing what those are is really hard. <laughs> it takes time. So it's an entirely different thing. Like the machine was in a pretty good state, but actually getting it to the point where it's ready to go out the door, where we feel comfortable supporting it, where it's reliable and the user experience of it is good. And like crossing all those bridges is holistically different. It is a completely different thing, but a great challenge. And it's been so fun figuring out how to do that. Like completely different, completely different, but a blast I, I, figuring I, I out love, those challenges. I love your... I love your enthusiasm. Now, now, before you did this, before you went out on your own, did you did you work in manufacturing or anything like that? Do you have any like background on that? Yeah. So um, when I first got out of college, I worked at a company here in Pittsburgh, actually called uh, Deep Local, um, and really cool company. They're effectively an ad agency, but instead of making like billboard and TV ads, they built prototypes like robots. So I worked there, and so like great example is for Netflix. We made uh, is a little wooden box with a red button on the top, red button on the top, very nondescript. And you press the button, and it silences your phone, dims your lights, turns on your TV, opens Netflix, and orders a pizza to your house. So all that just happens when you press the button. And we didn't we didn't sell any of them, but we did a social media marketing campaign for it, and it got billions of social media impressions. And it and Netflix paid us to to make that. So I worked there for like two years, and I built crazy robots and went to Japan and India and China and like showing them at like conferences and like trying to fix stuff, you know, like all kinds of, all kinds of crazy stories from that job. But I was working 110 hours a week and like, I didn't have time to go grocery shopping and call my mom. <laughs> Poor thing. I didn't talk to her yeah. for months at a time. And it was really fun and I learned a lot, but so I learned how to make one thing really quick there. 
And then I worked at Formlabs, the resin 3D printing company. Um, actually, Lucian and I both did. Lucian and I met at UConn, um, but I, oh, I was talking on the phone with him. I'm like, Deep Local has me burnt out. And he's like, come work at Formlabs. I just started working here. So we worked there together for two years. And that wasn't make one thing quick. That was make a lot of things well. I was actually on the sustaining mm -hmm. engineering team. So products that had already shipped, oh. I was on the team to help figure out how do we make sure that they're doing well? How do we fix problems in the field? All that kind of stuff. Um, so oh, I got well, a really that's, good that's range. Amazing. That's that's amazing experience for what you're doing now. I mean, I'm sure that just plugs right into designing a process for making sure that every one of your kits is is good and ready to go. Totally. Yeah. That's, I'm, that's, it was I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy. So happy to hear that, to be honest, because that sounds. <laughs> well, I mean, because it's obviously you're enthusiastic, but it just seems like having that experience and, and knowing some of what you're getting into as yeah. far as quality control and everything else. I think that's I think that's fantastic. Yeah, it was. <laughs> does everyone great. at Form Labs learn how to make. Uh, the baseball bats with the shotgun shells. <laughs> Talking about Shane. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I worked with him a bit while I was there. We were both there at the same time for a while. Uh, also, uh, Shane, myself, and my boss at Formlabs, his name is Jake Mizra. He also has a YouTube channel, and that's we bonded a little bit over that when we first started together, and we've been friends since. Um, so awesome. yeah, there is a bit of a trend. A lot of Formlabs <laughs> people have YouTube channels. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, it was great. Nice. I, I'm like, it was it was pretty intentional too. Like, I always knew I wanted to start a hardware company. I knew I always wanted to do this. So going from the prototyping experience, then going to the Formlabs mass production kind of experience, I knew I was getting kind of a pretty good spread of what does it mean to make a prototype? What does it mean to support it in production? Lucian was a manufacturing engineer at Formlabs. So he knows mm -hmm. about how do you keep a line running? How do you, you know, issue um, a Kappa to a manufacturer if there's a problem with the part and all kinds of stuff. He's so good at sourcing and, and the handling the manufacturing side. So together we make a, a pretty good team from our experience. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. It's been really cool. And he's my best friend, you know, like being able to do it with my best friend has just been nothing but great. <laughs> That's fantastic. That's absolutely yeah. Well, yeah. fantastic. Yeah. 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 Pat says it more than me, but yeah, I think, uh, I think that is fantastic. <laughs> That's, That's awesome. Um, yeah. So, so the, the machine itself to, to me, to me, if I, I saw this machine knowing, nothing about it. I would, I would think it was a, um, CNC router right. <laughs> to be, to be honest, yeah. but it uses kind of the same sort of, it's got like a, a track and it's, it's basically has a head that goes back and forth and picks up the parts from a, a reel of, of components. Mm -hmm. I, I assume. Yep. Okay. Now I saw yeah. you and, have some really cool f part feeders to, to move the spools. I thought that we was pretty cool too. Yeah. And I was, I was confused. I, I watched your most recent video where you were showing you know how you run the machine in production today to yeah. dog food and make your own you're eating your own dog food and making your own motherboards for the yeah for the yeah and i was amazed i don't know why i'm so simple that i didn't realize this steven but you don't need to run you don't need to automate the reels you could string them out manually and when they run out, you feed more. I had no idea you could do yeah. anything like that. You can't. I, so you can do that, and it yeah. works great. And like the the time it takes me, I did the math out uh, early on. Like if I run it on uh, the Lumen, which is the new name for the pick and place, the Lumen PNP. Uh, if I run a motherboard on a Lumen PNP and versus doing it by hand, it's like 11 and a half times faster or something to run it on the machine. And that's with the strip feeders, the ones you're talking about where you just kind of pull the tape into the build area of the machine and it can pick from it. We have working prototypes of feeders 
Um, and I'm actually working aggressively on them right now because it makes the machine so much more hands-off, you know, less work to keep it running. It's a huge, that's where a lot of the innovation comes in with a pick and place is the feeders. So we've had working prototypes for months and months and months, but we had to get the kits out first to, you know, have people have them. And, and now we're working on doing feeders. So mm -hmm. it's still really fast doing it like this, but feeders make it, make it a lot, a lot smoother, you know? Because I feel like, to, to be honest, I mean, not just your machine, but any, any sort of pick-and-place machine, it just seems like the material handling of picking that part up is really, that's got to be just such a, such a pain. I, I, I guess, honestly, I don't understand how, I don't understand how companies do it so well. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's... Well, Jeremy, if you watch know, Steven's as, as videos, a... you'll see how they do it so well, because <laughs> all, this, all this magical cameras and computer vision and stuff steven it's tremendous yeah and works. and also to to give credit where credit is due the software that we use is called open pnp and it's made by a fantastic human being uh by the name of jason vanita and he makes this software that effectively supports any pick and place you want to throw at it um so we have a whole um profile for our machine that works with it and it handles doing all the computer vision stuff we've made uh, like a profile that works really well um but He's the genius behind all that stuff. Uh, we have the hardware that supports working with that software, but he's a brilliant dude, and it's a really cool piece of software. Okay. Yeah. And how, how does it how does it actually put the because um, you know when you assemble the parts and we're talking about service mount parts, yeah. you have to put some um, some solder paste on it, which actually gets melted and then it gets secured to it. How, how does your machine does it have like a different head for the um, the the uh, solder, the paste, solder. Yeah, solder paste. The paste. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, right now we use uh, a stencil separate from the machine. Um, oh, a stencil. Okay. But we did prototyping a year ago about having an automated paste extrusion head that will just put it out directly, um, and we're exploring that um, over the next few months. About like, is that something that is that going to be better than making a separate desktop machine that does a stenciling squeegee process? Because you can get a stencil very cheap. They're very precise. There's no reason to reinvent the wheel if that works well, and you can have that also be automated. But we're we're oh, wow. we had really good results with paste extrusion uh, with a little auger head. Okay. So that also what that really lets us do is we can have a hopper of all your PCBs to the left side of the machine, and then it brings in a panel into the build area. The head automatically puts the paste down. The other head, because there's two heads on the or two nozzle nozzles on the head, that puts all the parts down and then it spits it out the other side. So then it's completely hands-off. You don't need to move it from one machine to another. It just pulls it from a hopper, paste, place, and kicks oh, it nice. out the other side. So that's what we really want to accomplish. Um, if we could do that with the paste head, that would be fantastic. That's what we're shooting for. Okay. No, but I mean, that makes sense though, because you could have, you have with a paste head or you could have an automated um, kind of squeegee operation. So you're, are you kind of, you're kind of uh, debating between the two right now? Is that kind of your... We're, we're right exploring now, both of those avenues. Uh, it seems like the paste extrusion is going to fit pretty well into the ecosystem of, of how this whole thing is going to work because right now we still have pick and place and we're working on fully assembled machines and feeders and all that stuff's coming down the line. But we want to be able to facilitate all of the, what we call mid-scale manufacturing. So like making five to 5,000 a year mm -hmm. kind of quantity. Every tool or machine that you need 
to be able to facilitate that for PCBAs and eventually down the road other things in that same scale. But so that means the oven, like how are you reflowing these things? How are you getting the paste on there? Like a solution for this whole process because it's not clean right now. There isn't anything that's out there that's really great that I wanted when I did a Kickstarter a few years ago. I wish I had a tool like this. So we're trying to create things that help fill that gap a little bit, um, whatever that may be, whatever yeah. can help make that process easier. When you did that Kickstarter, did you fulfill everything yourself? I mean, did you? Yeah. Ooh, man, that was a, <laughs> I'm sure that was not. And you did all those surface the good old LEDs yourself by hand. Uh, yeah, I did. It was like over 3,000 SMT components by hand for the, all the orders. Mm. And I just like put on some podcasts and I was there in my apartment, like hand placing and putting them in my little toaster oven. And like, it was dreadful, <laughs> but I could do that. Literally, I yeah. could do it in like a day two days, maybe max with the machine that I have here. Okay. But it took me like months of nights and weekends hand doing it. It was, it was dreadful. <laughs> well, that does sound dreadful. <laughs> yeah. Steven is way better at soldering than either of us are. <laughs> yeah, I got I'm, good at the end of that. <laughs> yeah. I watch you in your videos where you solder down some big surface mount chips, like some big STM chips and stuff. Well, yeah, I think I could, what he's doing, I could do that, but boy, my hands are so much shakier than yours, and I know how much <laughs> effort I would have to put in to do it. I'm so glad somebody, I'm so glad PCB Way will do it for me. <laughs> <laughs> the trick is you just have a banana right before, and you get that extra little bit of potassium, and then your okay. hand can stay a little bit more steady. I heard that somewhere in like, I like hmm. peanut butter banana sandwiches anyway, so I usually have them around. So if I'm about to do some soldering, I'll just pop a banana in. Fantastic. I guess it works pretty well. <laughs> Like that, that really, that that's really what I hear. That's, I'm sure it's find the placebo time, effect. Jeremy. <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Jeremy's going to be buying bananas now. <laughs> yeah, for, for, for sure. So, yeah. Steven, I have a little product that I'm, me and my friend are working on. Okay. These little uh, NeoPixel. Ooh, little cool. Rings. Nice. Mean, we've got a big one. I've got this big board. Whoa. With an Rock and roll. This is, this is cool, but this got really expensive. We started this before the pandemic, mm -hmm. and the pricing was fantastic. And then the pandemic happened, and this is just not... We were going to add a third. This fits in a five-and-a-quarter-inch drive bay on a computer, <laughs> so it's going to be for status. But I have That's the tiny so one. cool. I love that. <laughs> Thank you. I have the tiny one on my JC Pro macro pad doing. It has a ring on the outside showing me disk usage. There's little pixels of different cool. colors spinning around for uplink and downlink and stuff. Yeah. But but this would make, I could make these on your pick and place machine. Easy. Are those and are I, those the 5050 dot stars? They're the, the 2020 2812s. The Oh, those are 2812s. Yeah, it could do yeah. that all day. Yeah. Now, and and I guess that Go ahead, Jeremy. Well, that's one question I had. His um, so his LEDs they they are circumferentially or they're rotated. So your 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 pick and place will do that as well as it'll do it in an X Y orientation and it'll also rotate it however you want it. Is exactly. That... Yeah. Well, actually, it's pretty cool. Very On nice. the nozzle, uh, it has a stepper motor where the shaft is hollow, and we actually pull the vacuum through the center of the shaft. Ooh. So as the shaft rotates, it's pulling a vacuum through that. And then the nozzle's on the end, and we actually have it tapped um, on either side of the of that hollow shaft. So we just tap in, I think it's M5 threads on both sides. And yeah, it'll pick it up, it'll move it over the camera, it'll see, oh, okay, it's at this orientation. It was a little wiggled in the tape, so let me move it 0.7 degrees. And then after it knows that, it'll place it. So it could handle that all day. 
Wow, that is that is incredible. So, sorry, I, I, I jumped, I jumped oh, into your okay. question, though, Patty. It fits. Like... It's fine. But what I've been trying to puzzle out is where in the manufa- where in the scale I would want to use your machine instead of having PCB because we had PCB way do these. Sure. And I want to say I'm I'm going to get these numbers to and I should also mention this is going to be open source. We haven't figured cool. out what license yet, but cool because I don't know what licenses to use for hardware. But <laughs> yeah, that's a whole thing in and of itself. <laughs> it really is. I th- I want to say these were like nine or twelve dollars each when we ordered twenty of them. Okay. With the LED- and they overcharged us for the LEDs, but I didn't complain because it wasn't going to be cheap enough sure. anyway. But my yeah. friend who designed the board, he said that. Yeah, if we spend like twenty five hundred dollars on them, I'm afraid to say this out loud because I don't want people to be mad when I have to charge ten dollars a board for how much <laughs> they cost to make. But he said they'd be like two dollars and sixty cents a board to sure. make, and that's pretty much nothing. So, but we have to spend twenty five hundred dollars on a big. It's a lot of, it's a lot of sales you have to get because this is only yeah. a time you know, for three. It's a thousand of them, right? And yeah. that's mm-hmm. so. What. I don't really, I don't, I'm not sure I understand what my question is. <laughs> I think, I but, think I know where you're but, going for. Like, yeah, at where what point the, does that stop between, in this machine yeah, come in? Where between 20 and 2,000 little tiny boards would I be wanting to do this by hand, not by hand, right. but with your machine in my house, in my garage? Sure. It, it depends on a lot of things. It depends on how many sales do you know you have. Like, let's say you have 2,500 people that tell you that they want them already. Yeah, just, if you can get I'm them at set, that price... Automate, just buy them. For us, we didn't know if we were going to get five orders or 500 on the first day. So yeah. it didn't make sense for us. And our board is, has a lot of stuff on it. And the bill of materials, especially with the chip shortage, is not cheap. <laughs> yeah. um, and we couldn't afford to get it. It over tripled our cost to make our board. Um, so it was just completely infeasible. We couldn't sell it if we got it manufactured at the quantity that we could afford. So it has to do with how many do you know you're going to sell? How much money are you willing to put into it? Do you want to be able to have really tight revision control? Because you place these or- this order and you get a thousand of them. If you find you have a PCB bug, and when you start making those first few, yeah, you're kind of stuck with that. But if you have this machine, you can get the board spun real quick and then just put in a different pick and place file oh, and off nice. you go. You also are not trusting another facility to do your assembly. I've heard people, you guys remember the DEF CON badge life? Kind of oh, like yeah. people that make the crazy badges. I have a good friend that goes to DEF CON every year and takes his badges that he makes. Cool. It's awesome. Yeah, there, there are some really interesting talks about, I think uh, Kerry Scharfglass from Hackaday has a, a couple great talks about how he's going and trying to like go to a PCB fab, like an assembly house. And, you know, there was some miscommunication and he got like 150 boards back with a diode reverse. So he's in his Las Vegas hotel room, reverse soldering all oh, these diodes. And like, man. if you can run it in-house, check it, verify it, and then just let it run, you are able to verify it as soon as it comes off the line and catch any issues as soon as they come off. So it's not just a fiscal uh, consideration, and it could or could not be beneficial to get an at-home pick and place. Like, it depends on your situation. But if you Mm. want control of your product, like if we want to uprev the motherboard for some reason, we can do it tomorrow. We don't have to wait for anyone else. We just do it. And it's super, we actually did this. We, we found a better nice. um, resistor value for our uh, vacuum sensing circuit on it. We just made the change the next day, immediately changed it. And you can't do that when you fab it out of house. So there's a few reasons, but it really just does depend. It depends on the, the cash flow. It depends on how much control you want of the, over the process. It's a lot of different things to consider for it. 
I'm more than a little tempted. Yeah, it's a little. Uh, <laughs> I, have to, I have to confess, I'm more than a little tempted. <laughs> well, I mean, I feel like from a, like even from a manufacturing standpoint, it's it's almost the difference between a a mass manufacturing model. You you order a thousand of these versus the, a lean manufacturing model where you're, you know, you're correcting the problems as they come up. Just going back to the that, that I think that's. It's, really yeah. it's kind of how a lot of people say you can ship an MVP of software really easily because you just open an AWS instance and just ship a thing and it's online and you can just try it out immediately. With hardware, there's so much more you need to do to even get to the MVP. And most people, they have to raise a bunch of capital. They have to go and like get their product mass manufactured and get injection molding dyes and like if you can do that at home and test it out first, validate it and build a moderate quantity first, you don't have to break the bank to spend that huge cost to get it made at a contract manufacturer or something. Yeah. And that's, How bummed that's out will I be if I have a box of $2,500 worth of these little lights in my closet <laughs> that nobody wants? It would be <laughs> it would be a real bummer. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll buy one. I will too. What if, cool. I have, what if I have $2,478 worth of... <laughs> Of I may have bought that one. Yeah, <laughs> I buy some, but I won't buy them all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but you guys know what I mean. It, it's a. Yeah. It would be nice to not have to. It'd be nicer to have a spool of NeoPixels in the closet and some unused PCBs and maybe just, yeah. you know, whatever that dollar yeah. figure would yeah, be. That is true. Sure. Instead. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, well, listen, guys. I think we're got a pretty good stopping place. Maybe we can do a little coffee break. Um, when we come back, we had some. Uh, some questions from somebody on, on Discord. Um, I don't know if he wants his name. I'll read his name. He designed my lights. Our lights. I shouldn't say mine. Okay. He's, he's involved, too. It's not a... <laughs> really, we're going to ask him about his wrist-mounted <laughs> flamethrower, so I think you want to stay tuned for that. You know, I know Stephen does some some quadcopter stuff. And, does he really? Know, got a bunch of other that questions was what that I wanted to ask Because I, I saw a whole bunch of radios in the background of one of your videos, and I said, I'm yeah. going to ask Stephen what he flies over there. Sure, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, we'll, we'll be back in just a minute. Hey guys, welcome to the coffee break where we take a break and drink coffee, presumably, and we give a shout out to people who support us on Patreon, our top five Patreons. I put four, gotta hit the thumb in there. Unless you have an extra, unless you have an extra pinky, as we discussed at one point. We did do um, that. Yeah. So our top five Patreons, we've got Carl, Michael Sizer, Raptor, creatively spelled, of course, Christina Kearney, Stuart Morrow, Positive waves, and we'll even throw in Brian Moses. That's that's what is that's that? That's five. Seven? That's more than that's five. That's five. That's a that's more than a handful. So thank you so much for your support, Jeremy. You can find us if you want to be a patron. You can go to Patreon.com/slash/CreateInvent. All one word. That's right. All one and word. Even though it's create slash invent that we don't pronounce, it's actually Patreon.com/slash/CreateInvent. So the slash is actually. At the beginning. Interesting. It's true. And so. we very much appreciate anyone on Patreon who's uh, helping us pay for these little expenses that we have. There are there are actual expenses to recording a podcast besides our time. And we very much appreciate it. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, you know, if you want to give us a you know, comment uh, on YouTube or SoundCloud or however else you, you listen to this, because we're not... We're not even sure how you're listening to this sometimes. So it's true. That'd be awesome. Yeah. So thanks. Thanks so much for watching. And we'll get you back to the show right now. Right now. Come back.
back. You're going to bring us, you're going to do the intro yeah. from the coffee sure. break so we so, can have uh, that edited in? So yeah. So uh, welcome back from the coffee break. I'm still here with Pat and Steven, and we're, uh, I got some coffee today, actually, surprisingly enough. I think we all I have water, having water, Jeremy. It's uh, just water. It's okay. in a coffee well, mug, though. We'll, we'll count that. <laughs> Good juke. <laughs> I drank the coffee already. That's gone. It's going to be cold by now. <laughs> you know, Jeremy makes me show up like a half hour early. That's like an eternity for a mug of coffee. That's. Uh, <laughs> no, I, That's I always drink my coffee. It's usually iced. If I get it, get it, it's iced. And if it's not iced, then I like it to be like warm. I, I don't. I didn't like grow up drinking coffee, so I'm, I feel like I'm just like a coffee, like kind of a coffee noob at this point. So I'm not like. Yeah. I'm not into burning my tongue and stuff. You know, some people, some people are. Yeah. I guess. I kind of like coffee that's been like that's kind of yeah. cold. I know no. it sounds weird, but like if you have coffee, it's hot and it just sits in a mug for a while and it's like not yeah. even room temperature. No, I, don't mind that. Like it's actually maybe it's a mechanical terrible. dream thing because I, I agree. I agree with you on that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but listen, you know, being being the hard hitting podcast we are, and uh, we even take we have a hard hitting que- we have one well, hard from question. the same the same person. Bring it on. Yeah. Is it two? That's well, two uh, questions. Is it two? Well. Oh, I think that's one question because I don't understand. I don't know that I understand. I don't need to read it word for word, but I can tell you, my friend who uh, designs designs our little PCBs with the LEDs on them. He's yeah. uh, in Discord. His handle is see you dying, like see you see me from the nineties. See you dying, yeah. and he wants to know what your uh, machine's CPH is. Um, chips per hour chips per hour hour? yeah that's a great question and that is like a huge metric for for these it's a hard-hitting question because this is i don't know it's important i i i should have this off the top of my head i think it's i think it's a few thousand and i'm not entirely sure because we recently updated a lot of config settings uh so it actually goes quite a lot faster now we uh, shifted to the trinamic stepper motor drivers and they fly they're so yeah. great so um we have like when we we have a, a prototyping machine that we're running like all of our test configs on i i don't have the number off the top of my head i can do a little math <laughs> and and tell you what it is because we're still dealing with like upgrading the configs and pushing it to its limit but it can do a few thousand i think um i have other metrics of like um, how fast can it do a panel with certain number of components and stuff that I can provide you guys, but I don't have it off the top of my head and I really should. <laughs> That's okay, but it's it's reasonably quick, it sounds like. It's it, it's definitely a huge improvement and there's room for tuning it so it goes even faster as well, for sure. But it's not going to be as fast as a, you know, a $30,000 machine. You know, it's going to get you 85% of the way there at a tenth of the cost, less than a tenth of the cost. So I should just buy two of these is what you're telling me. So then I'll be, <laughs> That's what we did. We have, yeah, we have three sitting in the room and they're just the running. There for, yeah. for, for 20% of the cost. I'm ready. Right. I, have a, I have a question that you... Jeremy made me think of this because he's talking about PCBs and his MacroPad PCB has components on the top and the bottom. Are you going to yeah. be able to refeed a board through that has, like when you eventually get to the automatic feeding, you're, are you prepared to to not bump those components on the way into the... Yeah. So what we do is we have a, we're, we have a prototype of a conveyor belt, which will bring it through. Um, there's a really cheeky thing you can do where you can use two different temperature solder pastes. So the trick is you get a very high temperature solder paste and you do it for one side of the board. You place all your parts, 
you reflow it, and then you flip it over and you put it back through the conveyor belt and you do the bottom side, and then you only reflow it at the lower temperature. So all the stuff on the bottom doesn't get hot enough to have all the parts fall off. And you can do s for both sides. You have to panelize it with rails so that it can be carried along through the conveyor belt, but that's easy if you're panelizing it, which you definitely will be anyway if you're using this machine. You can totally do it. So it's that's, possible that's for really, sure. That's a really clever trick. Jeremy, you're, you have so few components on the bottom anyway. You could manually do half of them with the Well, heat. I mean, I don't have any. I have, well, I, I guess it's, basically I've got all the all the, um, all the the LEDs on the bottom. Basically all the surface mount stuff right now yeah. is on the bottom. But it would be nice if I could put these two. Um, I've got two buttons that have to be on the top. So if I could make those a surface mount, that would save me some, some time for sure. So, um, sure. But yeah, I guess I guess you're right. I could cool. could do stuff. Yeah, you could do it if that's what you wanted. If it's mostly uh, with all the the are they Cherry MX switches they, they you're are. using that's for right. it? Those are all through hole, right? You can't get an SMT yeah. version well, of that. They have SMT, yeah, SMT sockets. Yeah. Oh yes. So then you okay, can plug the Cherry switches. Yeah, I'm, I right. may or may not be thinking about a new version of it. So I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, because you know you're always making improvements, and I'm, as I'm sure your I'm sure your machines are the same same way. Sure. Um, I also I just redid the math. It's I was off by an order of magnitude. It's a few hundred, but it's like okay. 500 or so uh, chips per hour. I don't want to mislead on how fast this thing is. Um, but yeah, it, it's way faster than doing it by hand. But it's not it's not like a, a um, you know a ten thousand sure. dollar twenty thousand dollar machine. So I'm gonna so have I think to buy like, three of them. <laughs> <laughs> you so, could. <laughs> so the other, other part of that question was, um, what kind of placement accuracy can you get on the machine? So we we have that metric defined by the parts that we're able to place. Um, we can get like if you actually look at how repeatable is the positioning, it's you know. 10 microns, 20 microns or something. If you're just looking at where it goes, it's all 3D printer hardware. It's pretty, it's pretty good stuff. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's not terrible. And 10 um, microns, what, is, no, what does that uh, work out to be? Is that a 10,000th of an inch? Sorry, no, no, no. So we had, originally we had a, uh, we ran some uh, repeatability tests. Uh, so I wrote a little Python script that just kind of like barfed can G code over and over and it looked at the camera. Um, and it would try and find where the nozzle tip was. So it would move the head around and it checked to see how far off has the nozzle moved from the upwards camera. Um, and we had, we had a, a weird problem with the machine early on where we had this cyclical thing that was happening because of the uh, umbilical. So we have a big cable that goes over to the head. And there was this cyclical thing happening where you had like plus or minus 100 microns movement, which is like sheet of paper, I think. Uh, I don't know off the top of my head how these are, but it's a, a tenth of a millimeter. Um, very and then, small. That is very small. Very small. And then we got that down to, I think, 50, uh, plus or minus 25, so a range of 50 microns. But the actual practical application of that is uh, we can place 0603, and we've had good luck with 0402s, which are those tiny little dudes. And we place TQFP uh, 48s, uh, TQFP 100s. Um, so those are like big flat chips with a whole bunch of little legs mm. where the rotational accuracy means a lot because sure. you have like a half a millimeter pitch on all the legs all the way far out. Um, and we place those okay. So for most designs, if you stick within all my passives are going to be 0603, unless you're doing, like we haven't tested BGA, but like as long as the spacing isn't too far off, there's no reason it couldn't right. work. Um, it can do, it can do a lot, it, it can do a pretty darn good job of placing most stuff that you might want to place for, you know, a mid-scale. And thing. the B BGA being ball grid array, which means basically there's, there's not just contacts on the outside, there's contacts that you cannot see. 
and it's putting them on there and then melting it, melting it down. Sure. And like whether or not you can ex inspect those is a different story. You usually need like a an X-ray machine for that, and that's some crazy yeah. stuff. But when are you making um, yeah, an X-ray yeah. machine? A good question. <laughs> <laughs> Later, well, we're working on it. We're working on the X-ray. <laughs> Well, you know, switching gears just a little bit, you, you guys moved into a, um, moved out from your, your garage to an actual, like what, 3,000 something square foot uh, facility? Yeah, it's like 3,200, I think, square Was feet. That, That's as big as our makerspace. Well, <laughs> you know, we were talking about earlier, it's, it's good, like, just from a, I guess from a privacy standpoint, it's nice to have your own your own space. It's not actually, actually your house, I, I guess. But just from a expansion yeah. standpoint, I mean, 30... 3,000 square feet, that's a lot more than you need at this point, but you're seeing a vision for this company is, is expanding you know, dramatically, I, I, I assume. Yeah, and we're also, like when we moved in, uh, it was like right after, we signed the lease like the day after Thanksgiving, I think. Um, right after we moved in, we're like, what are we ever gonna do with all this space? But now that we're actually like in here and using it, it very quickly feels like it's filling up. Like it, stuff gets used. We we are seeing what people need and people that we need to hire, and it's unbelievable how fast we fill up the space. Any um, space so that we, you have will be taken up by something if you have the space. It's just there's a law, somebody's law. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like work is like a gas. <laughs> yeah, it fills the volume that it's in. Um, and you know, as we're, we can probably use this for a good chunk of time, like it's a great space. We're still not using all of it. We're looking, you know, like we have a five-year plan and a 10-year plan and we're looking at all the things we, we want to do and we want to ship. Um, but it'll be good for us for, for a hot sec for sure. Like it's, it's definitely doing what we need it to do. Um, and we'll be able to expand into some other product lines with it. Absolutely. Wow. So, yeah, but it is wild how quickly it's like, Whoa, we're really using some of this, you know, <laughs> it's kind of wild. <laughs> well, I'm impressed that you're moving up to having employees. That's a, that's a huge, that's a game changer. That's a, that's a milestone in owning a business. Everything changes yeah. once you own, own, you don't own employees. <laughs> Yeah, it's wild. Like sometimes <laughs> it's it's really crazy. Like sometimes I'll just be like, I'll come into the office and I'll be sitting at my desk and I'll be like, I'm at the office for my own company. Like, uh, why does this feel normal? And I have to take a second and be like, oh man, like, wow. <laughs> you know, it's, it's kind of wild. And that same thing with like hiring, like Lucian coming on um, a while ago now. And now we're looking to get other people and growing now that we have uh, sales and revenue and people are, you know, buying these kids. Yep. I don't want to imply that Lucian is not a real employee, but he's your best, <laughs> he's your best friend. So it's, it's different when you move into, you know, advertising for an open position, hiring somebody doing payroll yeah. taxes. It's like, maybe, maybe like it's Lucian's just like this, this fake, fake person that he's made up to like, I mean, he's on the, he's, he's on the video, so I guess he's, he's, maybe he's just like an actor that he brings in for like, you know. <laughs> he's a paid actor. Yeah. No, he's. Well, that he, would be an employee, that would be a uh, real yeah, would, employee. A, there, yeah, you're right. So. That'd be a contractor. Yep. <laughs> he has, I mean, we haven't taken a salary yet, so we've just been going without, and Patreon, my patrons are absolute gems. Like, that is the reason that Lucian and I both live in my house, and like I bought a really cheap house in Pittsburgh that was big enough that I could start the company out of it. And I make just enough money on Patreon to sustain us in the house. So we don't need to pull money out of the company. And it's 
fantastic. Like, I'm so grateful for my patrons that let me stay afloat this whole time. And just now we're starting to think about, okay, we have revenue. What is, and Lucian, I can pay him, you know, like finally. Yeah. And he's, oh, yeah. So now, I mean, he kind of, he was legally an employee, but I, we just couldn't really pay him very much because, you know, we didn't have the money for it. And now yeah. we finally can. So it's great. Steven, I grew up in a, in a dying coal mining town in Pennsylvania. Oh, really? What, what town yeah. did you grow up in? I grew up in Scranton. Oh, no way, really? Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, it's like four or five hours from me. Yeah, yeah, I've never been to Pittsburgh. I've been north, of, I've been past Pittsburgh, north of Pittsburgh lots of times. I've okay, past, if you're ever in town, to hit Pittsburgh. me up. Absolutely. Let me know. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's great. I love Pittsburgh. It's so inexpensive to live here. There's CMU, there's Pitt, it's beautiful. Like, a lot of people have an understanding of Pittsburgh of like, oh, it's a rundown steel city, but like, it's, it's, gotten more stuff it's like a robotic city now like cmu and all the stuff that comes out of cmu is like it is a robotics heavy hardware city it's so great the cost of living is low it's fantastic i didn't mean to imply that pittsburgh was dying i didn't know i know no no no. i didn't get that at all it's been dying my whole life it's been (laughs) i mean it i have a friend who was excited i told him every time they do a census the you know we lose nine percent of the population he said no no this time we didn't he said this time this decade we grew i said well how much did we grow he said 0.3 percent so (laughs) (laughs) it's still growth yeah it's still growth yeah i don't don't know i mean you know i live in i live in florida which is constantly expanding which is good i guess but then it's like you know somewhere like pittsburgh you know i could get like a like an office for probably not like an exorbitant amount. You'd like I'd probably buy a house for not exorbitant amount. You know, it's like, yeah. I, I, to me, that seems, that seems kind of cool. You know, like there, maybe there's like some space that you could set up, which, which I guess is what, you, what you did. I, I mean, I, I, I yeah. you, you, you have set up there. So I, I don't know. I, th- I think yeah. there's some, I think there's some benefits to a place. that's not like maybe like that popular yet. I, I don't know. Or sure. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you. Like, if if rent is still low, and, like, my house, I bought it in 2020 before the housing boom hit, and it's well under 100K. Well under. Oh, and, nice. like, it, it has three floors, and, like, you only get that in Pittsburgh. You only you can only find a place that cheap, in good shape, with that much space in a city like this where, you know, it's it's on the rise. It's coming up, and, it yeah, it has just been nothing, nothing but good for us. And getting in early. <laughs> yeah, for, for sure. That's, yeah. that's awesome. Yeah, I don't want to cool. tell you what Zillow says our house is worth today. It's oh. terrifying. Yeah, it Zillow, like right now, the ho- anyone buying a house right now, my heart goes out to them. Like I had yeah. a friend who bought one in Colorado a little bit ago, and like I was blown away at how expensive it was. Like I, oh, I'm, yeah, it's wild. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's wild stuff. <laughs> yeah, we bought our house maybe, I don't know, maybe five years ago, and we, we thought it was fairly, you know, it was, it was a bit, bit high to our budget but it's like what they say it's worth now is like i'm not i'm not comfortable with that to be honest because it's like okay yeah yeah okay nominally i'm worth our family you know is worth more money but i gotta live somewhere you know so what 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 difference does it make to me sure and if you want to sell it and buy another house all the houses are very expensive right now so like it's not like you're up from it because everything else is expensive that you'd want to buy unless you move to pittsburgh yeah that's true unless you move to pittsburgh or it's it's even cheaper (laughs) true (laughs) yeah so that's that's an idea so um well that that sounds that sounds awesome about your business but i guess another thing we were 
kind of wondering about is and this is from a while ago. You made a wrist mounted flamethrower. Is that to keep yeah. warm in the Pittsburgh winter? <laughs> it's for uh, melting all the snow off my driveway. Yeah. Nice. Well, I, I won't ever need one then, I guess, but you know, good, <laughs> yeah. good for you. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, you took this, um, you took this to Maker Fair, and I guess you were, you know, the, the fire marshal hassled you a bit, but you, you were nice to him. Yeah. And, you know, he, he was doing his job, and for some punk coming in with a wacky contraption that he made in his basement, like, I want to shoot fire at Maker Fair. And, like, they were, I think their names were Bob and Rob, were the ones that came for, this was the second time. So I, every time I brought a flamethrower to Maker Fair, I had to talk to the every fire marshals. Bob, Bob and Rob, yeah. I feel like this is like a cartoon, not like a real thing that. Right. <laughs> yeah, no, they, they were real. Yeah, or it's <laughs> the like first the two time, bombs from Office Space. Yeah, right. The the first time uh, they were a much more like, what's this kid doing? And it was a much more sketchy thing that I had built. Like I had I had very little safety precaution stuff baked into it, and you know, and I early on when I I've been playing with like flamethrower stuff since I was like in middle school or something, Um, and I burned myself like once or twice early on, and I haven't since. Like, I learned my lesson about handling this stuff carefully and safely, and it hasn't been a problem since then. So although it is shooting fire from my hand, I try and take as many precautions as I can to be safe about it, but it's still inherently wild. Like, you're still shooting propane, like, out of your palm. But, yeah, so I showed the fire marshals everything. They took a peek over it. They were like, okay, we'll keep an eye on you. And, you know, they were kind of always there when we were shooting the fire, but... So much fun. My favorite is bringing it to parties and roasting marshmallows with it. We're all lighted up, okay. and then people can have their marshmallows on a stick, and like that's that's a fun time for that's sure. That's really fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Well, what, what was your what was your closest call with it? Was there? Or maybe you don't want to so, say that's fine. Too. Yeah. No. 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 The one of the earlier. Well, one of the things I learned early was that when you have a tank of propane or butane and you're dumping gas out of it, it will get cold. And especially when you have the tank upside down and the valve is submersed in liquid propane or butane, you get liquid gas out of the nozzle because that's what's readily available at the inside of the tank. And that does not come out in a a gas that wants to move away from your hand. That comes out in a droplet that wants to land on your hand. So early on, the, the, the time that I got burned early was when I, it was, this was middle school, sixth grade, seventh grade or something. Um, I was running it too far and I put my arm up so the tank was facing downwards and I got a whole bunch of liquid, um, I think it was butane, liquid butane on my hand. And it, it went out pretty quickly. Uh, it's not like my hand was literally on fire. It was just the butane on my hand that was on fire. But it burned me. I mean, it, it, it I was like, oh, wow, okay, I've learned my lesson here. I bet that <laughs> and, was terrifying. You know, keeping that in mind, it was really spooky. Yeah, and th- actually, it was in the winter, um, and there was a bunch of snow, so I just went bump into the snow and solved the problem. But, uh, you know, learned a ton from that. I mean, from doing an inherently risky thing, figured that out, and I, now I know how to, how to push it. I actually ran a lot of tests of, like, seeing at what point and how long do the droplets, how long does it take before the droplets come out and it becomes an issue, um, and it hasn't happened since. I'm just aware of that, and I have a whole bunch of e-stops and safety procedures, and it works just fine. One version, I actually had a key, and it would only turn on when my key ignition was inserted, so I had keys on my key ring, so if someone walked up to it, they couldn't get it to turn on unless my key was there to turn it on. That's, that's so, smart. Stuff like that. 
Yeah, yeah, it, it's way safer now, as, as safe as it can be. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Um, well, and you, uh, let's see, I'm trying to think, do you have any other questions, Pat? I, well, I do. I, I, yeah, I saw those RC radios in the background of a few of your videos, and I'm curious what sort of, what sort of machines you fly. So radio controlled machines, right? So there, there are not any clean cut just drones. One of one of those controllers is from a project I did at Deep Local, where we controlled like a five foot tall Rosie the Riveter uh, android. It looks like the android dude, but dressed up as Rosie the Riveter. So one of those is from controlling that thing around like conference centers and stuff, which is a super fun project. Um, and then another one was from, uh, my mom got married like four years ago, five years ago or something. And she didn't want to have a ring bearer. She wanted me to have the drone be the ring bearer. So I got an off the shelf drone kit or something. And I put a uh, clean flight, I think is the firmware you can flash onto yeah, them. So I, I configured that. an auxiliary pin on it to be a servo. And I printed a little servo mount in the bottom and I set up before the ceremony, I set the drone up behind and I put the rings in a little uh, bag that had the servo clasped in it. So when it was time for the rings, I was standing up there as part of the wedding party and I flew my drone. I had my little uh, uh, transmitter on, on the back of my belt and I pulled it around and I flew the drone and I had it drop the rings into the uh, GP, or what, what do they call the, the folks who officiate the wedding? Um, I'm not sure what, what the word is. Yes, I, the person who was doing the ceremony dropped oh, just, the rings just, and then the drone flies off. Justice of the peace is what you're looking for. Justice of the peace. Thank you. That's what I was thinking of. So I had the drone go and drop the rings and then fly away. And yeah, that was a fun one. That's so weird stuff like that. <laughs> we've, do, we've done the servo release mechanism on a drone before to drop some big. You're not What'd you drop? Well, I'm, I shouldn't tell you because it's illegal, but I'm going to tell you anyway. We've, is it illegal to drop stuff from a drone? Yes. Have I just You're incriminated on, myself? Maybe. Well, you were indoors, and it was fine. I was not indoors. Well, I was telling everybody that you were. And <laughs> <laughs> oh, I see. You were giving me an out here. All right. Yeah, but we were we were dropping water bottles on the pavement, you know, from 100 feet, 200 feet up. And then this is the worst part. We're looking around the park, and my friend finds a stick, you know, about eight feet long. With a sure. spike on the end. I mean, this is some kind of a temporary fence post. So we string yeah. it up on it. We take it up. We drop it. I mean, and it pierces the grass and just sticks up straight. Ooh. It's <laughs> <laughs> absolutely terrifying. You shouldn't be shouldn't be doing this. It it's was, like lawn darts, but with yeah, a drone. Yeah, but with a way yeah. bigger lawn dart. Oh, <laughs> yeah. don't do it. <laughs> Yeah, it's, but it's we have a video on YouTube that... if you want to see it. It's just, we didn't get the one where it was standing straight up. It was a little, the, sure. of course, we couldn't repeat that. It never stuck yeah. as well. Yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> it, it's interesting that people ever thought lawn darts were a good good idea. That just seems a little terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> have you ever played with lawn darts, Jeremy? I never. I never have. I think oh, I have. I've my... thrown some when really? I was smaller. Yeah. I've never not used had anyone. You make sure you, I mean, I'm sure we didn't practice safety when I was that small. We didn't, we didn't understand. <laughs> yeah, that's some oh, spooky yeah. stuff. <laughs> no, I never played with them. I think I think maybe my parents kept me away from them or, or something. I I don't know. Yeah, I don't even know when they went off the market. I mean, who knows 
when I found them at somebody's house, right? They could have been in the closet for 10 years for all. Yeah, <laughs> I've never even seen them. I've only ever heard of them as a thing. They're heavy. I mean, they were small, <laughs> so everything was heavy, but they were heavy. It was... Sure. <laughs> nice. Spooky. How fun. And, um... Let's see. Well, I guess we got we got one one more question. Oh, we got a couple more questions, but one one more I want to ask you. I saw something. So you eat uh, something called soylent. Is that is that correct? Is <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> it is correct. Yeah. <laughs> okay, and that's after the uh, what human made compound in that book, right? <laughs> sure, soylent green. Yeah, <laughs> it's a it's a a drink that is. They say it is 100% nutritionally complete, so you can like drink five of these bottles a day, and it has everything you need to be a functional human being, as as per what the FDA says. Um, I don't drink that much of it anymore. Um, I still do drink it. There's there's one in the other room that you know I might drink later today, but I don't drink as much as I used to. Um, but it is a very utilitarian food. Like when I when I worked at Farm Labs, I didn't have a kitchen in my apartment. My apartment was like kind of an attic it was like a weird retrofitted attic with no kitchen it was a wacky place uh but it was great i missed that apartment every day but i didn't have a kitchen so i kind of had to rely on soylent to like that was what i drank that was my nutrition well this is what Um, happens when you work 110 hours a week (laughs) right yeah i mean like it's kind of out of necessity (laughs) yeah oh that's interesting does does it taste good or is it Nasty or is it? It depends on your definition of good. <laughs> uh, to be fair, they've done a lot for the taste recently. It's it's pretty excellent. Um, it's a fantastic thing where it's like in a pinch you need lunch, you don't feel like making something, you grab one of these things and like, it's it's pretty great. It's a it's a good product that I really do enjoy. I actually tried melting down the bottles because I was making a lot of these bottles and it felt like such a waste to. I mean, I know you could send them to a recycling center and I did that as much as I I could, but. I've tried to melt them down and turn them into a 3D printer filament. So I actually made filament out of recycled soylent bottles and I got some horrible, horrible 3D prints out of it. Like absolute trash, really bad. Cause it was out of a material that has a very high coefficient of thermal expansion. Is, so is as it, it cools- Is it, P, it, is it PET? It's uh, HDPE plus. Oh, that's is harder. It's made of. That's harder. It's, it's like double the coefficient of thermal expansion of ABS. So whatever problems ABS has versus PLA, double that and it's, it's a nightmare, but I, I could print with it. I got a benchy out of it. It was very bad, but I got a benchy out of it. <laughs> I saw a fantastic video the last couple of weeks where somebody was testing. There's a there's an open source gizmo that cuts down PET bottles into strips, folds yeah. the strips over, and just gently melts it. Doesn't melt it, mm. just softens it and pushes it through a nozzle, and you get a filament out of it. And that looked really cool. Yeah, was that on Hackaday? Uh, I bet it was. I, think I, I would be amazed somewhere. if it wasn't. Be- <laughs> okay. There, there was another dude who made, uh, he took old VHS tape, like the magnetic tape, Ooh. and he melted it down, and he made filament with, like, a VHS, and it was wild. And as it printed, it was aerated a little too much. It wasn't very solid, so it kind of popped a little as it printed, and it had this really lovely, like, matte, rough texture on the outside. It was really cool. Neat. Um, yeah, really funky. I'm going to look for that. I want to see that. Yeah, it was, it, was, it was pretty cool. I was surprised that his method worked for turning film into filament. I, watching, I was like, that? I am surprised and impressed that that works the way that it does. Yeah, <laughs> and I realized I have absolutely no idea what plastic the tape is made out of yeah i don't either i, yeah. I don't i only know about I'm the, sure the rest on the you know the coating the oxide mm-hmm. i don't mm-hmm. 
Yeah, yeah, really cool stuff. Well, I, yeah, I, I guess. Oh, go ahead, Jeremy. I'm sorry. Well, I was just just thinking like um, it's kind of a kind of an off this subject and on the other subject. The 3D printed parts for your machine can they be made out of ABS or PLA or anything? Anything? Is there any specific material? There, we have recommended materials. Um, there's very few constraints that we have. So um, of the constraints, we have recommended print settings for strength. Um, we use PLA internally, but a lot of folks in the community um, have used PETG and have had excellent results with it. So both of those, we officially recommend PLA because that's what we've tested with, but we're doing some uh, PETG testing in-house right now. Okay. And what yeah. about um, what about VHS tapes? <laughs> <laughs> if someone made one out of VHS tapes, I would lose my mind. That would be so cool. We want to get some fuse, like the Farmlabs fuse printer, the SLS nylon powder one. We want to get some of those parts printed on a fuse and have a, a Lumen PNP made out of SLS. We think that would be super cool. That would be awesome. <laughs> yeah, I'm jealous yeah. of those we'll, SLS we'll printers. I would love to have one of those at oh, home. But that yeah, pow we, the powder seems so messy and scary. Not scary, but it, I mean, I would make a mess. I, it's sure. you need a dedicated room for it. Um, it very much is a thing. Like the sift is like this archaeological dig through your print, and it's really cool and very satisfying. They we were really just getting ready to start shipping them by the time I left Farm Labs, so I got to play with them a bunch. Um, they're fun. The parts are really cool. Like the process is just fascinating. But yeah, you need dedicated space. Like it really is for like industrial kind of applications or like, you know, or mid-scale. If you have a room in an office that you can dedicate to it with, you know, shop back and the sift, it's a pretty good solution um, to be able to make custom parts really quick. But yeah, it's a bit of a commitment <laughs> for sure. So my question for you, Stephen, because I try to, I, I usually ask people before we even invite them on the show, do you okay. have anything you'd like to tell us about that you, your YouTube channel is full of pick and place stuff it's all you know for like three years back it's all pick and place do you have anything sure. non-pick and place in your going on and that you want to tell i mean i know you're busy with starting the company there so you may not have anything but i figured <laughs> yeah. i'd give you an opportunity to tell us about something totally out of <laughs> that i'm working on that isn't that yeah or not even working just excited about anything whatever whatever sure. makes you happy the a lot Where, of my where'd you time. buy your glasses what was that? <laughs> I said, so where'd you buy your glasses? You oh. know, anything. Oh, Jeremy, anything. I, got, I got bifocals this time, Jeremy. Three, for three different nice. ranges. I have, these are my up close. They're, they have no long vision. They're medium and close. And my other ones over there are long and the, medium. They have different like like optics at different heights kind of the, thing? They do, and but they're the long range ones, you have to look out the very bottom to read your phone. And these ones, okay. out the very top, I can't drive. It's not, I can't see far <laughs> enough away. But these are perfect at my desk. I could see my screens again. I could read all the words. It's all sharp and crystal clear. And I didn't mean to derail <laughs> this question, but when you think you need bifocals, Stephen, get some. And Pull get the trigger in. on it, okay. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, but seriously, though, is there anything uh, in, more interesting that you'd like to tell? Awesome. Sure. Yeah. I, most of my time is dedicated towards this and getting this out the door. I have a list of probably 60 YouTube video ideas that are not related to the pick and place that just accrue. Um, but what I've been spending a lot of time on is working on a couple projects with my girlfriend. She's a, a, like an immersive space designer. 
So we've been going through and we're turning a, a room in my house into a cyberpunk speakeasy. So we're making the door to this little speakeasy like a bar kind of thing, but we want it all to be like super cyberpunk neon lighting. I got a, a server rack at a really cool architectural salvage yard here in Pittsburgh for like 20 bucks. So we're designing circuit boards that go into it that aren't like, kind of like the thing you're making for the, the hard drive bay. Yeah. Like it's a fake digital bay, but we're making, it looks like it's a like an ethernet switch. Um, and we're making like a little robotic bartender that goes in there and all that kind of stuff. So she's a set designer and a space designer. And I'm, yeah, exactly. Like it's yeah. going to be like a little torso coming out of the bar and he'll like <laughs> make our favorite drinks kind of thing. Johnny Cam, um, but for a yeah. bar. Sure. Yeah. So we've been working on that, um, and I'll 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 show her some animatronic stuff. She shows me some space design considerations, and we work together on that. And she, we're also making a kind of like a, a fortune telling, a digital fortune telling table. So it looks just like a normal wooden table, um, and we have a, a deck of tarot cards that have RFID tags in them. So underneath the top layer of the table, it's actually just veneer. It's wooden veneer on top of like acrylic uh, and other CNC plywood there's a little RFID reader in the center. So you place the tarot card down in the center and the reader knows what card you put down. And then there's embedded LEDs underneath the veneer of the wood that will like play an animation based on what card you put down. And she's actually a pixel artist uh, full-time. Her full-time job is being a pixel artist. So she's doing like animations for it and stuff. So we're creating cool like digital environment things. Um, we spend, uh, spend time doing it every week working on some of those projects. So yeah, a lot of fun stuff with her. It's been cool working with someone that like is minded about, you know, has the, the idea of what is the whole entirety of the space feel like. I'm very like, I want to make the gizmo. I want to make the gadget. I want to design the thing, but she's looking holistically at the whole space. So it's been so much fun working with her on it. Um, yeah. So a couple of things like that, that we've been working on. So cool. Don't, don't yeah. tell the table that you want to be big. <laughs> I, I don't know if you know the reference, but. Oh, I don't. Oh, oh, wait, from the Tom Hanks yeah, movie. Yeah, the Tom Hanks movie. He tells the oh, fortune teller yeah. thing, I want to be big, and then he's an adult the next day. And Yeah, that's a great movie. movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I won't. <laughs> yeah, don't tell it that. Um, but can we expect a video on that at some point, or are you going to keep that uh, keep that in-house? That's a great question. Cause like I started this YouTube channel ultimately cause I knew I wanted to do a hardware company. So I was kind of doing prototypes until I found the thing was like, I, this is the thing I want to bring into the world and then put it towards, uh, put it towards more about it being about the company. I've thought a lot about doing a second channel for this kind of stuff. Once I can hire people where I don't have to work crazy hours to fulfill the things I need to for Opula right now and the YouTube channel. Maybe I dive back in, I do another one. Jaden also has been thinking about starting something like that. So we might do it on one of her platforms, um, but we'll see. We definitely are like documenting and recording it. So I'm sure it will come out on the internet in some form or another for sure. <laughs> Making YouTube videos nice. is so much work, Steven, and you're doing a fantastic job. You've got all kinds Thank of good you. edits in there with the little, you know, the sneaky dropping sure. things that get picked up and stick in the reverses. <laughs> and I'm, it's, every time I see it, I'm like, oh, that was a lot of work. <laughs> Thanks. The longest yeah. was one time I did like a drop kick flying like karate kick at a certain at an op amp chip. And that it was like maybe seven seconds of footage and it took me like three and a half hours to edit it. And like I wasn't even it, it was pretty good at the end, but like there was room for improvement. Like I wanted to make it better. So yeah, it's fun though. It's a blast. And I've gotten it so that uh my keyboard shortcuts, I use Final Cut Pro 
um, and I love it. I love using Final Cut Pro, but I have uh, my WASD keys, like you would if you're playing a video game. I have those set up as shortcuts for like trimming and cutting and like splicing. So I have a very speedy workflow down for like how do I get through two and a half hours of footage really fast and cut it down to just what I know. Like if I'm shooting a talking head bit, this is my favorite little trick. If I'm shooting a talking head bit where I'm just talking to the camera and it takes me like five or six takes to yeah. get the bit that I want to say. When I'm done, I clap and I look on the audio waveform oh, for a spike and mm -hmm. I know that the last one, the one by the spike is the one that I should use. So I, the little well, tricks like that clever. help a lot for speeding it up. Do you, do you uh, peruse Hacker News? On YCombinator.com? Um, here and there. I haven't recently, but I, I'll poke around on it every there once in a while. There was a fantastic Ask Hacker News question. And I, I don't even remember what the question was specifically. But it had to do with video editing like this. And three or four sure. people posted the scripts that they use that automatically edit out the dead air. And yeah. I thought, oh, oh, I need this. That would be helpful. I mean, maybe not all the data, <laughs> but they've got one that somebody had one that makes an XML file cut list that you can import into most anything. I'm like, oh, wow. I should just, yeah, run there. Yeah, just get rid of, can you imagine just getting rid of all of that stuff before you even touch it? That there's a guy uh, nice. on Linus Tech Tips who is like their lead editor. He's been there for forever and he has like, five keyboards all set up at his computer station and each one he has a custom sticker and he has each key set to a like a hilariously precise keyboard shortcut that he uses all auto hotkey to like map all these things and it's like it is the most complicated setup ever but it's very interesting to watch he has like a four hour tutorial of like this is how i do video editing it's fascinating <laughs> yeah and if you do the same things over and over again like i've not tried any of these clipper things because we have three video files I'm looking at right here, and then three yeah. wave files and maybe more. And I've got to combine all of those and then cut it, but then I have to be able to flip. I don't know how I would, yeah. I, I don't know how to say, so yeah, we're just gonna do this manually. I don't know how to work that yeah. back into, yeah. Into the software. Do you yeah. use Premiere? I use uh, DaVinci Resolve. Oh, okay, cool. Rock and roll. Yeah. yeah. I, I, use, I use Final Cut Pro. I, I, it took a little bit of learning to get, to get used to it, but I, I really love it. And to be honest, I use that uh, the macro pad that I put on the Kickstarter. Yeah. Man, that's honestly that's been pretty fantastic because you can um, once I got it figured out, you can you can use these. You can use the three keys on the bottom. You can basically these are like the shuttle keys. So I just keep these there, and then I set the knob up so that you can advance frame by frame with the knob. Oh, that's and a then killer I can, feature. Like, like clip it just or stuff. That's a, it, yeah, it is. Just to bring it back, that one, so you don't miss the beginning yeah, of the like word. Yeah, just like one or two with a click click click. Or if it's like a lot, like more, you can click, 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 click. Yeah. It's, it's like, I just feel like, and obviously there's better ways to do it, but I, compared to like how I was doing it before, I just feel like I'm just like a ninja. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just slicing it up. Sure. It's, it's great. Yeah. <laughs> it's, I feel like, I feel like I don't edit videos more as it's like I, I debone them like I'm cleaning a fish or something. That's a really interesting way to say that. It's like you're, it's like, you know, how people like sculptors will say, I have a chunk of marble and there's a sculpture in there somewhere. Like you start with the entirety of the video. You're just removing sections that you don't want, you know, instead of adding in new things, you're looking at all the extra footage and trimming away the fat. Yeah, that's true. Well, listen, my camera is giving me some sort of uh, interesting icon. So. <laughs> I, I wonder, which uh, might might be a good place to kind of uh, we're about a, probably a good place to end of this 
podcast. Sounds good. Yeah, right we should that. ask Stephen where we can find right. him on the internet. Yeah, where can we find you, Stephen? You can find me on YouTube. If you search my name, Stephen Hawes, I'll come up on YouTube. And uh, my company, Opulo, uh, you can find us at opulo.io. And you can find all the source for the whole pick and place project. It's all open source. Um, you can go look through all that, build one yourself, buy one from the site, whatever you want. Um, so YouTube and Opulo.io is probably the best places. And Opulo is like I would nice. it's the five letters I would expect. O-P-U-L-O.io. There we go. Ooh, sure. <laughs> Spicy op, op, merch. Opulo. <laughs> O-P-U-L-O, yeah. yep. You know, it's, it's the most opulent pick and place that you can... The most opulent open source sure. pick and place you can buy, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> And operational as well. Operational population, (laughs) opulent. (laughs) Yeah, opulo, very nice. And Pat, we can find you, I guess, what? uh, Yeah, you can find me at patshead.com. And I've got a plug. We've been doing, me and my friend Brian have been doing a live stream every Tuesday night on the Butter What YouTube channel. And we have to do one tonight. It's the first, we do it the first Tuesday of every month and we're doing it today. Which confused me because I have to do two of these today now. <laughs> that throws me off. And what about you, Jeremy? Yeah. Where can we find you? Yeah, so you can find me on the internet. Uh, if you look up Jeremy S. Cook on YouTube or pretty much pretty much anywhere, you can pretty pretty much find me. Um, you know, JC Devices. I sell stuff under JC Devices on Attendee, um, including my JC Pro Macro. Now that it's out of Kickstarter and stuff, so. You can check stuff out there, you know, just attendee and stuff. And Pat, I know you're on Tindy too. Um, cool. Yeah. And, but yeah, that's where you can find me. And you can find me on the Create slash Invent podcast, of course. And we'll put all this in the description of wherever, hopefully, everywhere you can find this. But we hope. <laughs> we do our best. You never know where a podcast is going to don't know, land. We don't, know exa- we don't know exactly where you find <laughs> us. But, you know, it's, <laughs> but yes, Stephen. So much. Thank you so much for coming on today. We really, really enjoyed meeting you, and seems like a fantastic project. Thanks. So. I really appreciate you having me. It was a blast chatting with you guys. It really does seem awesome. I'm excited. I might have to buy yeah. one. I don't know <laughs> if my wife will let me, but I'm tempted. <laughs> cool. <laughs> yeah. All right. Have well, a good one, everybody. See you guys. <laughs> I have to look around the camera to find the stop button.